we've been joking about these personal preference, personal opinion, confirmation bias, finding things that line up with our opinions and pushing them because we just feel like we're living in a time period where we don't know who to trust, what to trust, and, and, and whether we can trust it. And, and in this season, that can bring a lot of division and conflict and arguments about things we don't even really know. I mean, many of you have turned into professional doctors over the past few months online. I mean, some of us, we feel like we have now become politicians. I mean, because there's so much going on and it's a very difficult season of life in the midst of what our country's going through, but midst of what the world's going through. And it's playing itself out on social media. It's playing itself out in your conversations. I mean, kids, how many conversations have you heard your parents talking about COVID? I mean, you're probably going, uh, but that's all we know how to talk about anymore. That's how much it's dominated our conversations. And, and, and as we work through this, it, it's easy for us to get distracted on things that don't matter. And that's why it's so important to anchor back in, not to personal opinions, but to our true north and gain priorities from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have selected Matthew 5. It's kind of the outline of our series. And it's from the Sermon on the Mount. And for each one of the Beatitudes Jesus has given, we've selected a parable, which literally can be translated to cast alongside. We selected a parable to cast alongside that priority so that we don't miss this season. Because five years from now, you're gonna look back and say, how did we handle 2020? How did I handle 2020? Folks, this church has been around for 150 years. It's been through multiple pandemics. It's been through social injustice of the 60s and, and rioting and cities burning. This church has been through the Great Depression. This church has been through all these things. This church has been through 9-11. And, and we believe it will get through this one too. And as we look back, we don't want to say, Lord, I really dishonored you with my attitudes and behaviors during that season of life. And so we'll anchor on you, Jesus. He saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain. He sat down. That's what the rabbis did when they're about to teach. And he, and he said, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and he begins with the list of beatitudes. Now here we are on the eighth priority of eight. Look back at this and say, this is our list. This is what Jesus says I want to see all the time from my kids. See, the beautiful thing of the Beatitudes, it's not just for the preachers to live out. Jesus wants all his disciples to live this way, regardless of the circumstances around you. So here's his priority list. How are you doing? He wants to see humility. He doesn't want to see pride. In fact, God's opposed to the proud. In a season of this, he wants to see humility. How much of you have had your humility tested during this or your pride tested? Yeah, that American pride gets kind of swelling up inside of us, right? Humility, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a priority for Jesus as he watches your life right now. Empathy, blessed are those who mourn. An empathetic heart doesn't go, that's dumb, that's stupid, I disagree, what an idiot. An empathetic heart goes, I'm trying to see this through their eyes. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus wants to see that in our priority list. He prioritizes self-control, the meek, power under control. 
in a time where it's easy to say, I'm done with this, I am gonna do this. Jesus says, I know you could, but I wanna see meekness. I wanna see self-control. Are you being tested in areas like that in self-control? How about obedience? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, Jesus says, I want my kingdom kids to live obediently during this time. How about compassion? Blessed are the merciful. Has your compassion been tested? I know I've been tested in all these areas over the past few months. Purity, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are not just say the right things, but are living out the right attitudes internally, keeping their minds from evil and dwelling on things they should not. Blessed are the peacemakers. Church, I believe this is one of the areas we can really all grow as a universal church. If those who are listening to us who aren't part of our local church, church, why are we online stirring up trouble and conflict? We're called to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And, and we've been caught up at times in stirring the pot of conflict versus being peacemakers. Am I not allowed to have opinion? No, Jesus had plenty of opinions but he filtered them through these beatitudes he wants us to live out. And then finally today, blessed are those who are persecuted, the faithful. And I gotta tell you, this one's a little difficult for all of us to swallow. I would argue that many of us at times are very fearful of persecution. In fact, when we hear that word, we kind of stutter back from it. <laughs> and we want people to make big stances and get up and be loud so we feel safe under their leadership. But the reality is that persecution, not just in America, but worldwide, exists. In fact, it's one of the Beatitudes. Happy is he who is humble, empathetic, and control. I just want to review the list real quick. Obedient, compassion, pure, peacemaking, and faithful despite persecution. Here's the eighth beatitude. Now you can take me there. Blessed are those who are persecuted, I like this, for righteousness sake. It's not blessed are those who are persecuted because they're a jerk for Jesus. And I say this because, hey teens, I'm gonna talk for you for a minute. Yes, there are Christians who literally give us a horrible name. Not only are they incredibly corny and ill-timed in what they say, and you're like, oh my word, I'm associated with that. But there are also Christians who are obnoxiously arrogant about their faith and extremely, extremely condemning in their approach. I know somebody came up to me, I tell people you're going to hell. I'm like, that's great. I wanna be your friend, buddy. That's how you're gonna start? I mean, come on. Jesus came and he showed love to sinners. In fact, many of the holy there the nows were like, who's Jesus hanging out with today? I mean, there's an aspect of relationship building to our witness. So, so it's those who are living out a righteous life. What's a righteous life? The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, when I'm living out a pure life, I'm gonna get left out. When I'm standing up for Christ, I'm not gonna get invited to every party, college student. When I'm living for Jesus at work, I'm gonna show integrity. And yes, yeah, some of the employees might say, how come you're living so life of integrity? You're trying to make us look bad? If you're at the construction site and you say, I'm not gonna be doing that or I don't wanna talk that way despite the rest of them, you're gonna be made fun of. There's an aspect of persecution 
that comes along with it. But Jesus says, blessed, the words happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. At the beginning of the series, I said, when I was a little kid, I, I liked to build and have my castles and kingdoms. Well, I had my GI Joe kingdom and I built it all up. And on certain days when my sister wasn't in the house, we would attack the strawberry shortcake house. We would, we would lay siege on the glamour gals and starve them out before attacking from the rooftops and down the chimneys. I mean, I had an incredible imagination as a little boy, kind of still do. And, and, and that was my kingdom. Well, well, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom that is promised them. Blessed are those who are pressed, stressed, mocked, left out, hated, targeted, and prayerfully not, but maybe even physically beaten. Jesus, I don't really like this part of the Beatitudes. But this is something we have to embrace as part of the blessed life, for Jesus includes it. In fact, he continues and says, blessed are you when others revile you. Blessed. When they persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you on my account. They're only hating on you and, and disgusted by your biblical views because of me. It's actually on me. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, don't take it personally. It's me. You stand up for what I believe are the priorities of life. You're gonna get pushback. You know, it's Rami Hatala from the Bible Study Society of Egypt, who I'm quoting here, who, who said something that really kind of made me just step back and go, I need perspective. This isn't gonna preach in a health and wealth church. This isn't gonna preach in a follow Jesus and everything's gonna go great church, okay? It's not gonna preach. Um, he was remarking on the fact that so much of the church is concentrating on follow Jesus and you're gonna have his help, you're gonna have his guidance, you're gonna have his, his, his presence for you and all those things are true. You're gonna have faith, you're gonna inherit heaven and all those things are true. He goes, but how often is it preached that when you live for Christ, you're gonna pay for it? <laughs> it's not preached that often, right? That don't necessarily fill a tent, okay? Or does it? I love this quote, he says this, Rami Atala, we all need to accept the fact that Jesus said, if you follow him, you will be persecuted. At some point, in some way, he says, we will pay a price for following him. You pay a price. In fact, when you get left out, young person, when you get made fun of for going to church, you're going out to church. Listen, I remember when I, I had gone from a really poor testimony in high school to wanting to follow God into ministry, okay? It was an about face for my friends. I, in fact, lost a lot of my friends when I made that decision because I wasn't doing what they were doing anymore. And, and I remember being so ashamed to tell them where I was going to school. So I would act like I was going to Long Beach College. So I'd say LBC, but it was Lancaster Bible College. So. I got some Lancaster Bible College students watching today. Just stay with me, I'm very proud of the school. 
So I'd be like, oh, I'm going to LBC. Oh yeah, that's cool. And then somebody say, where, where at? I'd say, well, Lancaster. Oh, so Lancaster? Yeah, Lancaster Bible College. What? Chris, you Amish? No, I'm not. Are uh, you you're going to be an Amish priest, man? There's no such thing, guys. I remember going through, it's like, I'm like, oh man, I, I sound like such a weirdo to people. And I remember struggling with that because I, I didn't like that. But you know what? It's part of paying for it a little bit. And as I've gotten older, I've actually learned that when I'm kind of beat up or made fun of or tempted to feel ashamed, those are spots in my life where the Lord's growing me and going, come on, Chris, take that mark for me. Take it from me. Blessed are the persecuted. And, and I'm growing in this, guys, and, and I don't like it either. I don't like the thought of persecution either, just like you. You say, you're a pastor. You're supposed to go, that was awesome being made fun of today. I loved getting that email calling me irrelevant and stupid. No, don't like it either. I don't like it any more than you do. But I've learned how to look at it through the eyes of Jesus, and I'm growing every day in this. For who knows if there comes a day where I will have to take an elite stand of faith. I don't know. But I also know I shouldn't worry about that. And if you do worry about some future moment, I want you to stay with me till the end of the service. I'm gonna tell you what Jesus would say about that kind of fear. If you're fearful that one day my head's gonna be by a guillotine, it's gonna be like ride or die. Jesus has some words for you. Don't leave. Don't turn off. Stay with me. There is a powerful lesson to be learned here today. But I'm, as I think about persecution in the world, I'm reminded of a story I heard that really spoke to me. I call it the eighth student. There was a, there was a missions, okay, just this, this um, a mission station with 100 students in it. And uh, if you know this story, it, it, it was in a Today in the Word this story was shared and it's only, you know, it's not that long ago. It's only, you know, it's in the 1900s. So um, it's not like, this isn't like just when Jesus walked the earth. More of a modern day persecution story. But this story is that 92 young people were shot and killed for standing for Jesus. 92 young people said, I'll stand for Jesus and were shot in a shooting line that still happens in, in many countries, even today. Can you believe it? But what's powerful about that story is the eighth student. You see, what happened is the, these, these communist captures came, the insurgents, and they blocked all the gates around the mission. The one gate they left open, then they put a cross down, and they said, if you stand on that cross and stand against the, the name of Jesus, we'll let you go free. Terrified for their freedom. One at a time, they would go out. And the first seven, just horrified, they stood and they walked out and who can blame them? What a horrifying experience. And they just wanted to live and they went out. But the eighth student, she stopped. Young people, she stopped. And she got on her knees and she prayed. With guns all around her, she prayed. She stood up, she walked around the cross. And they marched her straight to the shooting line and shot her. 92 young people followed her because of her faith. I hear stories like that and I go, wow, what incredible faith amidst such incredible pressure. 
Is this still happening today? Some statistics from the Esther Project, the persecuted church globally. Each month, here in 2020, 322 Christians are estimated to be killed for their faith globally. 214 churches and Christian properties destroyed each month for the faith. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and even forced marriages. This is a map of the most persecuted areas of extreme persecution, severe persecution, and moderate persecution put out by the open door that does research for the persecuted church. One of the number one persecuted countries is North Korea. Making number two on the list is Somalia, three, Afghanistan, four, Pakistan, five, Sudan. Christians in more than 60 countries are being persecuted right now. In fact, as I preach, there are pastors in communist countries who are locked up and wondering if they'll get out. 7,100 estimated Christians killed per year for their faith. In India, there's an attack on the church statistics say every 40 hours. This is why I struggle when people say, I feel like we're being persecuted. And we go home to our Verizon and Comcast and sit on our Raymore and Flanagan couches. It disturbs me. We're going through a difficult time, but church, keep perspective. Keep perspective. Could it rise? Yes, but I gotta humbly tell you, you're not gonna stop it. For scripture predicts it. As we get closer to the end, things are gonna get, and evil will grow. But so will the church. And so will God use the church. Because where there is persecution, there's growth. You see the church, it's almost like it gets pruned in times like this. For there's a lot of people who don't wanna pay for their faith. They just wanna listen to Chris Tomlin and go home. But when it gets a little serious, they want out. And Lord, give me the strength because I'm tempted at times to fear. We all are. But this time of refining, this time of pruning, and trust me, in, in this season, I have never felt more pressed, more targeted by the enemy than in this past year of ministry. I've been doing it for a little while now. This has been the worst, okay? I'm not gonna lie. There's been a lot of tears coming out of these eyes through the past few months. So I'm not gonna sit here and go, oh, I got this. Oh man, this is tough. There's a lot of things that have happened to our church that are difficult, but there are so many awesome things that we'll continue to share with you as we move forward. Because this is, this is a great quote I love about persecution. He, this, is, um, this is for our true North stories. Persecutions are beneficial to the righteous. What? Yeah, they're beneficial. Blessed is the persecution. They are the hail of precious stones, which it is true. Rob the vine of her leaves, right? When the hail comes down, the leaves kind of, they kind of get robbed, right? But it, it gives her a possessor a more precious treasure instead. It gives the possessor a more precious treasure. How many of you have grown in your faith during this season of pressure? How many of you look back and going, you know what we've realized through the past few months? We don't really need that. You know what we've realized as a family over the past few months? That was a waste of money what we were doing. You know what we've realized for the past few months? I actually really appreciate my church and miss them terribly. I mean, we are starting to go, wait a minute. This has kind of been a beat up time, but you know what? There's been a lot of good that's come out of this. 
Maybe we should have that be the center of our conversations, of what we see coming out of this. And Jesus goes, yeah, there you go. Matthew, he continues, he says, yeah, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad for your rewards are great in heaven when you go through pressure, when you get refined. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're not alone. The prophets were persecuted too. And I stepped back from my notes when I read that. As I was studying this, I go, wow. Jesus wanted that included. Jesus is still a little ticked off about his prophets getting killed. He's like, just like the prophets. It's almost like stirring up inside him still. And he wanted to make mention of it. I didn't miss that. I saw you killed Elijah. I didn't miss that. I, I saw what you did to Amos. It's like Jesus remembers this stuff and he just drops it in every once in a while. Like, don't you think I forget? But rejoice, you're in good company. So here's what I thought. What parable can we put alongside this to help really get into our heads a proper view of persecution and the fact that we're blessed for it? And I've gone with a parable that I met many of you might not know. It's a little more obscure, okay? It's the parable of the tenant farmers. Do any of you know this one? This is actually a really kind of a secret nugget in the Bible. Uh, for many people don't know the parable of the tenant farmers, but I think it's an excellent illustration, okay, of how we can view persecution even in a time of difficulty. So the parable of the tenant farmers, Matthew chapter 21, 33 through 42. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, we'll pray for our dear friend over here who needs some help, okay? Heavenly Father, Lord, just uh, be praying for those who are here today for the word of God to be preached. Lord, would you protect our brothers and sisters here? And uh, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing, what you're teaching us, and what you're showing us during this time period. And so, Lord, as we look into the parable of the tenant farmers, I pray that you would use this parable to cast it alongside this truth, that we can just anchor in and have a proper perspective of persecution, even if it comes our way. And Lord, know that we'll be blessed for it in the end. Thank you, God, for being here with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's the parable. I'm gonna read it through. If you've got your scripture today, I'm gonna put it up here, but I just wanna read it through first Okay, it's chapter 21 of Matthew, verses 33 through 42. Here's what it says. Hear another parable, Jesus says. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press and built a tower and leased it out to the tenants and went into another country. Well, when the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed the other, and then stoned another. Again, he sent the servants more than the first, and they did the same thing to him. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the ten tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And, they have it, and then we'll have his inheritance. Well, they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. Who will give him to the fruits? And then he'll give it out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Wow, what's going on here? What is this about? And, and, and I think it's so important for us because there's so much 
allegorical features, so much figurative language that we step back and dive through it to see who represents who in this story. I'm gonna do a little bit of the work for you, okay? Um, here's six characters. One, the master, God the Father, okay? I want you to watch for him in the story. I'm gonna give the work to you here as we go back through it. Second, the vineyard, that's the nation of Israel. Third, the tenant farmers, that's the religious leaders, okay? Fourth, the servants, that's the prophets the master sends. Fifth, the son, Jesus. And then sixth, the fruitful tenants, that's the apostles and the church. Now, I wanna show it to you as we walk through it and let's gain the power of this text. Jesus says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. Watch what he does. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press. We're gonna get fruit. And he built a tower so they could watch over it because it was very important to him. And then he went into another country. Isaiah 5, as well as Psalm 80, tells us the vineyard's Israel and the master's God. So, so there's a lesson that needs to be taught here. Jesus says, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get the fruit. Now, the season of fruit has come. He goes to the tenants. The tenants are the religious leaders, the ones who should be watching out over Israel, and he is expecting some reward for the investment he put into the vineyard. And the tenants took his servants. One by one, watch what they did. They beat one. The Gospel of Mark also shares this story, and it says they smashed him in the face continually. The second, they killed another. And then the third, they stoned So what would you do? You're the master, you send people, and they kill them all. The master sends more. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Jesus didn't forget what happened to his prophets. God knows what happened to his prophets. In fact, these are some of the things that happened to the prophets. Some of you know the stories. Isaiah, sawn in half, sawn in half. Jeremiah, thrown into a pit and then stoned. Ezekiel, murdered by an Israelite, his own countryman. Amos was running for his life. And amidst running for his life, they hunted him down and killed him. Zechariah was chased into the temple chased into the temple of God and killed in the temple. And Micah, here it is, was smashed in the face. God saw that. He saw what happened to the prophets. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for you're like the prophets who were before you. So what did he do? He sent all these prophets, he sent all these servants and then God said, I'll send my son. They'll respect my son. I put in my notes because Mark calls this in his gospel account, he calls it that Jesus said, that master said, I'll send my beloved son. We know the son is Jesus. I put in my notes, I, I couldn't help but step back and think about God for a second. I said this, God so loves the world, yet the world so hates him. But he just keeps coming. He just keeps coming. The gospel keeps going. Have you ever sat back and you're watching TV or something? Man, the world just hates, hates 
the gospel and the truth. God so loves the world, but the world so hates God. But he just keeps coming. Oh, the love, the love of God. How many of you, you feel it in your life like, God, I don't deserve for you to show me this grace. God, my attitude this year has been horrible. My complaining spirit has been elite. My discouragement, I've dwelled on it. I have whined and been frustrated. I've yelled at people and you just keep coming with your love. I don't deserve this. When the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And we find the motive. The son is Jesus and the tenant farmers, the religious leaders want him killed. Why? Because he is the heir of the kingdom. God's kingdom. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What did they do? They crucified him. And when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what's he gonna do to those tenants? Folks, there's coming a judgment day. And Jesus is kind of pointing to this. You got your suffering servant, Jesus, which you nailed on the cross. When I come again, I'm coming in hot and I'm crushing everything in my way. So you best make sure you're on my team. And so Jesus says, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's gonna do with these tenants who killed all these servants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to the other tenants who will give them the fruits of their season. Here's the idea. Because the religious leaders led Israel astray, God's gonna turn his attention of working his truth through them and he's gonna give it to another that are fruitful. The apostles, the church. It brings to life Galatians 5.22, doesn't it? He's gonna give it to those who have shown fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I'm gonna give it to them. I'm gonna let them share the gospel. I'm almost in some ways, can I say this, kind of glad Israel failed because I get to go to heaven now because the message went out to the Gentiles of whom I am one. That's who it'll go to. And then Jesus changes the game. And I didn't read this part to you. I saved it for this moment. Jesus said, have you never read the scriptures? Scholarly ones, you, you like education? Whenever Jesus says, Do you, did you ever read? Whenever he says, have you not read the scriptures? Whenever he says that, okay? Let's jump into seminary real quick. Whenever he says that, he is stressing that this thing he is about to say, this scripture that he's about to say is pointing right at the listener. Have you not read the scriptures? He says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in your eyes. Jesus changed the figure. He went from a vineyard and he started building a kingdom. He's talking about a kingdom. He's talking about a building and he's saying the stone that the builders rejected, they crucified it, has become the cornerstone. It's a reversal of fortunes and Jesus says it's glorious cornerstones, cornerstones. I, I got a big old, I got a big old stone here. Okay. And I'm not going to hold it the whole, the rest of our message here, but, but I got, I got a big old thing here, right? How much do you know about stones, right? 
there's kind of three kinds of stones, right? There, there's the capstone that goes on the top. It's kind of decorative and it keeps the water from soaking into the wall and it kind of protects it, right? Then there's the keystone, okay? That's like an arch stone. They, they would put the keystone at the top of an arc and build around it. You know, you would know a lot about keystones if you learn, live in a certain state. Okay, all right, all right. And, and, and then there's the cornerstone. This is the stone that in ancient times they build around the stone. So, so they didn't have your fancy surveyors. I see you, Dave. They didn't have that, Dave. And, and, they, and they would line it up normally according to the sun and how they wanted the building and they build off this cornerstone. So the cornerstone was orientation on how you should live or how you should build, excuse me, jumped into application, orientation, then it was also what they built the strong foundation off of, but it was also celebratory. The cornerstone was celebrated and it often sometimes had memorials within it. Even to this day, buildings are built with a cornerstone. It's a little bit more of a decorative piece now, more of a memorial stone. And they're often hollow and you can put things in it and, and store things in it. In fact, this building over here, okay, you can't see it online, but in the tent, our, our original building, People say to me, I've been going to this church for a long time. Well, I've probably been going longer, okay? Because like the Hellers go back to like where this church started under the Lunston name. And so my dad's got documents this church has never seen. He sends me this picture of that building being built. It was in 1964 when the capstone was laid. Can you take note of this? Fifth Street's a dirt road. Fifth Street is a dirt road. That is awesome, okay? Um, and so if you live along here, this is what it looked like. And I love this, the scaffolding's wood. I mean, it's wood-built scaffolding as they're putting up that facility over there. And they had a capstone, 1964. And my dad said, you know, there's stuff in that capstone, in that cornerstone. I said, what, what? He goes, I don't know, but I think it's some documents. I was just a teenager at the time, but there's some documents in there. And then he said, real excited, you know who would know? And I said, who? He said, Stanley Nice. Now, if you're joining us online, Stanley Nice passed away and he's in glory with his wonderful wife, okay? I said, Dad, why'd you say it all excited like I could go ask Stanley? He goes, you know what? Walt Groover might know. And so I had Darla reach out to Walt and there are some original documents from that day. Walt was the Sunday school superintendent at the time. They document, they put it in there. But not only that, a couple years later, this building right over here that young people, the teenagers used to meet in, anyway, um, we, we're in there and this is the ministry center. They called it Maynard Hall, 1972. And that one also, it's believed, has some documents in it, but it, I can't tell you everything that's in it. Because you see, within it, there's a key that unlocks a shaft. Right underneath a pastor's office, which is where my office is now, there's this shaft that goes down 300 feet into the ground and goes over to the parsonage. So if persecution hits first, the pastor can be dropped down and he can walk... Hey, I see many of you believe in conspiracy theories. I'm allowed to have my own. And, and you can drop down and you can walk across and I'd share it with you. But, but it seems there, there's, um, within that box, there's a white belt. And, and in the white belt diaries, it leads to that. So I can't fully, kids, I'm totally making that up. There's no shaft. Or is there? All right. I, God, God's talking about the cornerstone. See, this is important. This isn't just any stone. It's the cornerstone. And, and he says this, Jesus says, 
In fact, Peter, excuse me, in Acts says that Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. We're gonna build, we're gonna build the kingdom off of this. I'm gonna build my church off of this. And the gates of hell won't stand against it, amen? The gates of hell. You might see evil on the rise, but this is a cornerstone and it's locked and loaded. And then he says this, I love this. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God's gonna be taken away from you, religious leaders, and given to the people producing its fruits. And then he says this, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. The one who sees this stone says, I ain't living a life like that, and trips on it and falls. The one who says, this is garbage, I would never live for Jesus. The one that the message of Jesus and the cross of Jesus trips him up, he'll be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, when this cornerstone comes back, and if it falls on anyone, when this comes back, this isn't the suffering, when it comes back, it's doing that. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, the cornerstone is going to literally crush you. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins in the end. If you're on his team, you do too. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Yeah, I'd say so. He probably looked at him as he said, it will crush them. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their life is built on the cornerstone. Blessed. Why was Jesus and his followers so despised? because theirs is the kingdom the enemy of this world desires. That's the conflict, that's the battle. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is building his church and hell don't like it at all. And Jesus says, even when it's pushed against, rejoice in that, knowing that the blessing of the kingdom far outweighs any temporary trial you might be going through. And so take it as a mark when you're left out. Take it as a mark when you're made fun of. Take it as a mark when somebody says what you believe is stupid. My word, we need a few more young people that are standing up for this and getting into positions of prominence more than we need a group of people complaining about the world. We gotta get involved in positions where we can do something about it and speak on it and share the kingdom principles. So here's my true north priority. I've kind of summed up this passage. I will rejoice in the blessing that will come if at some point I must pay a price for living out the priorities of Christ. I'm gonna rejoice in the blessing that will come if at some point I must pay a price for living out the priorities of Christ. I wanna leave you with this application today. Been a great audience, a lot going on today. There's been people that coming up to me going, do you, you seeing persecution on the rise? I said, listen, listen, yes, no doubt about it. But um, I'm having trouble calling a, a pandemic persecution when I know there's pastors locked up and in prison and being whipped right now as I go home and turn on my Verizon. So yes, I see growing tension and pressures on the truths of scripture and that's what my Bible said would happen. And so it's a kind of a confirmation that the Bible's true. But I wanna leave you with something in case you fear persecution that Jesus shared with his disciples as he was leaving this earth. 
I call it seven ways a believer can respond through persecution. Jesus went up to his guys and he said, this is from Matthew 10. He said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep and wolves. Jesus didn't say, I'm sending you out like sheep. Okay, one of the brothers, the Zebedee brothers were probably like, man, come on, I wanna fight. I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. So I want you to be wise as serpents. The idea here is prudent in your planning. Be thinking, be smart. It doesn't mean be deceptive or sly. And innocent as doves. I don't want you to be anything but innocent. In fact, the dove is known for fleeing conflict, not running into it. And so Jesus says, I'm sending you out, disciples, in the midst of wolves. I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And then he continues and he says, beware of men for they're gonna deliver you over to the courts. They're gonna flog you. That means whip, kids in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. We're building the kingdom through the Gentiles. He continues, this is what's gonna happen, men. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the father speaking through you. And then he says this, brother will deliver brother over to death father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then he says, when they persecute you in one town, I want you to flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I summarize this as seven ways that believers can prepare for more persecution. One, plan with prudence, be wise. Trust me, the vision presentation of last year is developing and adapting based on what we're learning this year. Be wise, be prudent, be thinking, okay? With incredible prudence. There's an enemy roaring around, seeking someone to devour. Jesus said, plan, be wise as serpents. Remain innocent, be innocent as doves. When we're going through persecution, bless those who persecute you, bless not curse, Romans 12, 14. Children of God, your social media posts, everything. Bless those who curse you, not, not, not any other thing. Bless, not curse. Accusation. Anticipate some accusation because they're gonna deliver you over at times to accusation. John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Do not be anxious about how you'll handle it in the moment. I'll hook you up in the moment. You're not who you'll be in that moment. I'm preparing you and refining you. I think a lot of what we're going through right now as a church is learning how to be adaptive and not married to all our traditions and methods. The church is learning what's truly important and just what's not. Somebody coming up to me arguing about whether they like the chair color anymore next year, I'm not gonna care at all. It's not important. I mean, my word, we were under a tent, right? So don't be afraid. Even if you have to suffer under death, he told the church in Revelation 2.10. You expect to be hated. All those who live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, 2 Timothy. But he said, keep going. Go from one town to the next. He didn't say, fight back. Ward off the persecution. I don't get this concept. 
In fact, I hear sometimes believers saying, boy, if the election goes this way, we're all doomed. And the Holy Spirit like inside me just like hits me. He's like, are you kidding me? Who do you put your trust in? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're doomed, you're done? Okay. I mean, I almost feel like the, the Lord's I, like, that is so anti-scripture to say you're done. Because Jesus is still with you everywhere you go. And maybe he's using this season to expose that you've been placing more trust in man and men's leadership than him. I know I'm learning that a lot. Okay, and then keep going, just keep going, keep moving, keep that gospel going. Even if you gotta be under a 10 online, keep going, just keep that gospel going. Await your great reward. No one who has sacrificed or given anything for the Lord, Mark 10, 30, will not be given back 100 fold. When you get persecuted, I want you to say in your car, I'm getting hooked up for that. That's the idea here. And he gives this speech. All right, guys, get together. Okay, here's what's gonna happen. You're all gonna get the snot knocked out of you. Yeah. Okay, some of you are gonna be dragged and killed. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be bad, okay? Yeah, yeah, I want you to just keep running. It's gonna be bad, just keep running, okay? Y'all ready? We're ready. This same group of guys, only a week earlier, ran when Jesus was thrown towards the cross. They went and hid. Peter's like, I don't even know this guy. But something happened. He rose again from the third day. Jesus, the stone rolled away. He rose up and he started walking around again. These disciples went, all right, it's on. It is really on. And they went out, these apostles. You ought to do a study on the apostles. They went out and, and, and Peter was crucified upside down by Nero. Simon was crucified in Persia. Thomas was stabbed. Doubting Thomas was stabbed by a spear in India for his faith. Philip was hung upside down by iron hooks. Matthew was impaled by spears in Ethiopia. John died in exile on the island of Patmos, right in the book of Revelation. James, the son of Alphaeus, was thrown off a wall and clubbed to death. These same guys who ran, they saw Jesus rose again and they went, it's on. It's really on. And they didn't care about their three-car garage. They didn't care about whether they didn't have cable network. They said, I'm gonna live for Jesus, even if I have to pay a price. Man, this deserves to be studied, the beginning of the church. And that's exactly what we're gonna do this fall. We're gonna call the series Pioneers. And we're gonna walk through the book of Acts and we're gonna see how the church grew under stress and difficulty and struggle and numbers were added to them daily. Because where there's persecution, the church grows. Church family, be praying for us in this season. It is a difficult one. But we have seen God work in amazing ways and he's gonna continue to do so. And if you're pressed, if you're stressed, if you're anxious, I want you to understand that Jesus said, yeah, that is part of this season, but I'm refining you, I'm retooling you, I'm remaking you, I'm gonna toughen you up and we're gonna do this and advance this gospel together. Young people, I don't care what every older person says in your house, Jesus is still on the throne and he can work in your lives and you're gonna be the greatest, most awesome generation for Christ in the world if you wanna be. But you're gonna have to pay for it a little bit too. And so let's all join in praying, not only for our church as we advance under turmoil, 
but for the global church. Heavenly Father, I lift up the persecuted church globally to you. I know that even this hour, there might be a pastor imprisoned. Even this hour, there might be somebody being dragged off for their faith. I live in Pennsylvania. What do I know about what they're suffering in these third world countries and in these communist countries that are targeting them for their faith? And so Lord, would you comfort them at this moment? I hear their cries go out and I put them next to some of my concerns of where I'm at and I just feel embarrassed. But Lord, I know you love me just as much as you love them. And I know you know I'm frail. Lord, I admit my own weakness in this time period. It's easy to get up and say we need to have faith, but we're all feeling a tad weak in this season of ministry. And Lord, in those moments when we're weak, we're seeing you be strong. And so may your church lean into you, God, not pull away, not run in fear, but lean into you in faith, knowing that this season of refining, it might knock some leaves off, but we're gonna grow back a stronger tree. And so Lord, we put our faith in you. We're gonna look to you and we're gonna respond how you would desire us to in the midst of any stress and pressure and difficulty we might feel. But we'd be remiss, Lord, not to be praying for everyone in this tent and everyone online for those who are suffering physical pain for the gospel, even today. In Jesus' name, amen.